Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, uh, here with Elias again. What's happening, buddy? Oh, not a lot. Had a really good weekend, and uh, I got a new toy, so I have a new uh, new smoker. It's a vertical drum smoker, so I made some ribs this weekend, and those those turned out great. Are you Just gonna, awesome. You going to give Willie, Willie Q's a run over there at the Blue Lagoon parking lot? I probably could. I don't know, man. No, I, he he's he runs a really good business, and he has great. Um, I guarantee he has a lot more experience than I do. He's he's a local celebrity. I I went there Saturday. I, I came to the office and I worked for a little bit Saturday morning. I was driving back, and I didn't have anything going on. I didn't really want to cook, and I'm like, man, I'm gonna go get a rack of ribs. You know, all good intentions of eating, like a couple for lunch. And then saving the rest for dinner. And you ate the whole rack or just half? Well, no, I ate the whole thing. So I went, but I pulled in and here's what I thought was really cool. So when I, I first started going there like a year ago, maybe before derecho, and he had like one or two smokers. He had like eight big giant smokers lined up in that parking lot. Like they're cranking out some serious yeah. eats over there. So I, I rolled in at 11 o'clock. I got a rap, rack of ribs. I polished it off all except for one bone. I left one for later and uh, proceeded to take about a two-hour nap, and uh, I was lazy kind of all day, but that, that's how my Sunday went. So I, I appreciate your barbecue skills, so I'm going to have to have a competition between your ribs and Willie's over there. Yeah, I'll bring some in so you can try them. Did I you, mean, I'm not. What's that? Did you get that cookbook that I recommended you get? No, no, I haven't. I, uh, I, just, I follow a couple guys on YouTube, so that's where I go for recipes and and tips and right now i'm trying to simplify my process i, I love simplification of the process i yep. i ran into a, a friend of mine the other day and he thought i saw he goes i thought you were simplifying your life i go no nah, it seems like it gets more complicated every day <laughs> why is that because we're doing the show now yeah just you know stuff it seems like we're doing more and more stuff he's like man you're you're just busy and you know you got a lot of stuff going i said the funny thing is i'm trying to simplify you know the way i do things we're efficient though we, we are fish going. You're right. So you know what's funny? What what your barbecue makes me think about is Hawkeye football, kind of coming up in the fall. I mean, what a whole year with no tailgating, no like fun outdoor stuff. So I can literally smell your smoker outside of <laughs> Kinnick Stadium right now, <laughs> getting ready for a game. But it actually brings up just I think a Hawkeye football. And I watched um, KCRG the other night in ESPN, Luca Garza was actually featured on there. And I don't know if the listeners remember, but it would have been, I don't know, maybe a month ago, back in April, um, when we talked about how Luca Garza launched a non-fungible token or an NFT. And it's kind of a trend that's happening or has happened in the past. I, I haven't followed that close closely recently. Um, but he launched this NFT that auctioned off for $41,000. And, and if, for those who don't know, a non-fungible token is basically the name, image, and likeness of somebody. Um, and they're selling this digital imprint of themselves or a play or, you know, whatever it could be, right, that you could um, basically have a token of. Uh, but anyway, he sold this this non-fungible token for $41,000, um, and he donated the proceeds to the United or the University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital. So we thought that was super cool, um, and he's kind of the first college guy to do it. And if you think back on over the last two years, there's been a lot of controversy in college athletics in particular about players getting paid. 
Mm-hmm. And I know you play college sports. You have family members who played college sports. And, you know, I have opinions on this, but it seems like this landscape around players getting paid is changing. And and I looked it up. There was an article out there um, on ESPN, and it looks like 13 states have now said in some form or another they have legislation ready to go into place that lets college players basically monetize their name, image, and likeness. Yeah. And this might be an unpopular opinion, but I think I personally believe they should be able to, um, especially for the the players, the the young kids that are playing at Division One programs, and especially for football and basketball the millions and millions of dollars that the colleges make and then that the NCAA makes and you know how many star players have there because not everyone ends up being an NFL football player well you could have a a great career at like University of Iowa and there's on a Saturday there's 15,000 jerseys with your number in the bleachers but then you never become like a professional football player and weren't able to really like capitalize on those skills but the school certainly did. Brad the NCAA Banks. certainly did. Brad Banks. Yeah. Heisman runner up, wasn't he? I don't yeah. I'm not and sure with, he played a down in the NFL. Yeah, he might have been. I think he did play some professional, like in the I don't remember what league. But yeah, when Brad Banks playing quarterback at Iowa, how many kids had a number was he number seven? I, I yeah, don't remember. I think his you're right. He, I think he might have been number well, how many kids had a number seven Brad Banks jersey? Stanzy? Like the list goes yeah. on and on and on of these guys who weren't able to, you know, per se monetize the monetize this. And and I agree with you. You know, I, I know the argument is, hey, we're giving them a college scholarship. Well, the question is, is that equitable? Right? Like, oh great, you're giving them a college scholarship that maybe they could have got on their own, right? With an academic scholarship. A lot of these guys are really smart. Um Well, what's equitable? I mean, why you think about college football it's one of the only places they say wait wait you can't get paid for what you do you only right. can get paid in a form of a scholarship it seems to me like a, a really it's a revenue grab for the ncaa and these colleges you know should they be able to profit on the logo of the hawkeyes no but their name their picture and their mm-hmm. likeness they they should have some right to it but i think where all this is going is number one there's legislation going towards the towards allowing the players to do this. But what's really cool about Luca guards is he's taking it to the next level. Yeah, he, he really is. Luca launched just recently a website called Luca Garza NFT group.io. And, and basically what it is, is it's a way for college athletes to go monetize their name, image, and likeness through a non-fungible token. Um, and you go back, the very first thing on here, it says monetize your NIL, which is name, image, and likeness. Take back your power. The time is now for collegiate athletes to monetize their name, image, and likeness. And the Luca Garza NFT group is leading the way. So I just think this is really cool. This is revolutionary. It's never been done before. My guess is at some level, and, and I don't know this for sure, but he's going to get, somebody's going to question this. Right, the NCAA is going to say, "Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are we going to let you do this?" And and I don't know where this is going, but I think for we're a Hawkeye fan, we follow Luca Garza. He's one of the hardest playing players. I think it's cool that he's taking the next level to kind of give power back to 
yeah. these players. Well, and I, yeah, and I think he's a very good. You know, if I was a college athlete, I think I'd be really excited about him starting this website and kind of to take the lead because he is such one. He's a nationally known player, uh, and everyone knows good work ethic, good hard fundamental basketball player. But not only that, he's also very well spoken and a very smart person. So to me, I just I think he's a really good person to help lead this, um, to help lead this for younger people. And you know, it's college athletics. It's a mo- it's a big money grab for a lot of people. So some of the families that have the kids participating, they should be able to participate in some of that too. Yeah, and and maybe not just, and probably something else that I have to get figured out because there are programs that have the same time requirements of the athletes, but they don't have. Like the football pro that the football program at Iowa makes way more money than all the other programs, so there's probably going to have to be some level of sharing in that as well if this continues to go the way it's going. Well, I mean that's how it already is, right? They're all those programs are the the football program sharing money with all the other programs to help keep those afloat. Right. I would just think if you're going to start paying college athletes which I guess this is maybe more allowing them to make money off of themselves. Um, I don't know. I think it's interesting, but here's what's cool about it too. Luca Garza, what he's doing is really similar to our industry. And if you think about this, Elias, what he's doing is saying, hey, Mr. College Athlete, maybe you don't have the time, the desire, and the knowledge to go build your NFT, but I do. You can join the Luca Garza NFT group. Right. So you think about what we do. We help people. We become their time, their desire, knowledge for their financial life. So I just look at the parallel there, but I think it's really cool. It's cool for Luca Garza. Um, It'll be interesting to see where it goes. I mean, obviously, Luca's going to declare for the NBA draft. I don't know where he'll get drafted. If it's high, it's low. Um, But I think this is really cool that he's embracing this. And trying to help other college athletes monetize, you know, their name, image, and likeness. Yeah, I agree. I think that's really great, and I think he's a great person to to lead the charge on that. Um, and that's, you know, and that, this is kind of a good tie-in. We're talking about NFTs, and that's kind of some new technology that people are starting to uh, um, adapt more. And it's in the blockchain family, which, you know, Bitcoin's been in the news recently. We've had a big big sell-off in Bitcoin. And then was something that caught our attention is there's actually, um, there's a survey group and there's some technology and financial services firms that are looking at ways to incorporate Bitcoin into life insurance contracts. So do you want to open with some thoughts on that and kind of how that's going to work? So I'm not sure who's doing it. This is just an article that I found. Um, but, but just think about what life insurance is designed to do. And I guess there's probably a couple ways they can incorporate this, but one life insurance is designed for you to pay a premium and you receive a death benefit at some point in time. That's just the standard basics of like a term life insurance policy. Um, my guess is what's going to happen is over time, um, life insurance carriers in the United States have developed new and kind of innovative ways to provide a death benefit while providing some level of investment or liquidity inside of that life insurance. That could be a whole life policy, a universal life, variable universal life, a fixed indexed life. And we're not here to give our opinion on what it is. But but what I'm guessing, um, or what I, I should say what I've inferred, 
is that they're probably going to have an investment portion or investment option. That's Bitcoin versus a fixed rate or a variable rate inside of that contract. I would think that would be very, very volatile. And I'm not sure what kind of guarantees the company is going to put behind it from a death benefit standpoint. Meaning if you think about the traditional universal life policies, they weren't guaranteed, right? You had to pay a premium and you have, as long as you pay the cost of insurance, it would obviously continue on through the life, life of the policy, but the cost of insurance internally goes up in there. Um, and what happened with a lot of these policies that were written in the early eighties, they were assuming interest rates of eight, nine, 10, 11, 12%, which at the time that was the current interest rate environment. Well, now today we've been stuck in basically a 20 year, very low interest rate environment for a life insurance contract. And a lot of these people are getting increased in their premiums or their policies are going to lapse. I would suspect that they're going to set up a policy that works the same way, but holds Bitcoin instead of, um, instead of your actual, you know, you know, fixed account. Um, in fact, the biggest kind of person who we found that got into this is mass mutual actually put a hundred million dollars into Bitcoin for its general fund. They're a 170 year old insurance company. So to put that in perspective, you've got, you know, one of the oldest insurance companies out there who put a hundred million in a hundred million sounds like a lot, but it's actually less than half a percent of the company's total amount of, of investment dollars in their general account. Yeah. So for mass mutual to put 100 million into Bitcoin, that's really, that's nothing. That's like a average person saying, I'm going to put 500 bucks into Bitcoin. Right. And we, and we've it might not even be that it might be like five on a scalable <laughs> level, right. like $5. Right. Um, but but if you just think about people are adapting the technology, companies are going to start to, you know, kind of um, welcome the people who want to be in the Bitcoin world. We've seen larger corporations invest dollars here in the last three or four months. Obviously, we don't know everybody who has, but there has been some. Um, I mean, there's over 46 million people that already own Bitcoin. So... Those are adopters. I mean, you think about what's the what's the voting population in the U.S. Three hundred thirty million people. It's like fifteen percent of the U.S. population owns Bitcoin at some level. Um, so I think that you know they're trying to get ahead of the curve. These insurance the insurance companies because they need to keep innovating, keep selling product. Yeah. Well, and I think I think we've kind of the more we've learned about it, and I'm sure these bigger institutions, the more they learn about it, there are it seems to me there are people who are always going to own Bitcoin. Um, and I'm not, you know, I don't, we don't speculate and make predictions on our show about price. Um, but I tend to, when people talk about like Bitcoin going to zero, I just, I tend to disagree with that. Just on the fact, I feel like there's, there are really people that are hardcore and I don't, they say they're never going to sell. I just kind of believe them. I feel like They've continued to buy. They're not selling. Um, now, I don't have any insight into like, so the people that really believe in Bitcoin and the price just came down a bunch, you know, I don't know if they sold or if they uh, they kept just stuck to the course. I would imagine they, they stuck to the course because going into it, they knew it was a volatile speculative asset. Well, and as we've discussed before, the people who actually own Bitcoin, like not trading it, not speculating, but they own it. They're owning it for a different reason. 
Their their right. goal, yeah, they're planning on making money, but their goal is not to make money. Like they will if what they believe will happen works out, right? Their their narrative works out. But what's, here's what's interesting. Here's why we don't predict. We were at a dinner last night with um, a company who's got one of the most well-respected economists in this country. It's on CNBC all the time. He said, hey, he believes Bitcoin's going to zero. Zero. He said, it might triple, but I believe it's going to zero. And then I read an article put out by Kathy Woods of ARK Innovation, ARKK. She says Bitcoin's going to 500,000. Nobody knows. It just goes back right. to why this really shouldn't be for any of our people listening. It's good entertainment. And you should be educated about this. Um, in in an insurance policy, it could actually be fairly risky. You know, if you don't know what you're doing, you think, well, that's a good idea to buy my insurance policy. But I'm not sure I'd want my insurance policy linked to the volatility of Bitcoin. I mean, typically you want your insurance policy to be like the most boring thing you have. Yeah, that's, that's completely that, the opposite. Yeah, that, that's where I'm at. I want it purely for the protection. That's it. It's right. not. I don't use that as investment vehicle or anything like that. I'm, you know, you know me. I'm boring. I just buy plain <laughs> term life insurance, and so I think it's going to do what I need it to do if you know an unfortunate thing happens. Yeah, people need to be educated about you know what this is and maybe why they shouldn't own it in their life insurance. Because I promise you, if insurance companies start offering this. Agents are going to sell it oh, absolutely. because they're looking for it's, sizzle. It's the sizzle. That's it's the right. sizzle. And we don't want our insurance policy to sizzle. We want it to be boring. <laughs> we want our insurance policy to have the tagline Elias Plaid Planner behind it for all intents and purposes. Um, <laughs> yeah, you don't, want, you don't want a nice sizzling steak for insurance. You just want no. a plain, boring piece of like roast beef or something. Yeah, so <laughs> I got to email. So I don't know if they're a listener, if they watch us on YouTube, I don't know, but, um, it's a pretty timely question. And he said, he said, Hey, my wife and I want to buy a house. We're 35 and are ready, ready to be done renting. Right. Which I mean, look around what's going on. Everybody's buying homes. Money's cheap. It's flowing lending. It seems to me like the lending atmosphere is loosened up from what it was 10 years ago, right after the financial crisis. Yeah. Um, in today's competitive market, we don't have enough cash for a decent down payment. A friend suggests we take a loan from our 401k, but I've always heard you shouldn't do that. What's your advice? Okay, so a couple things here um, that, that are my red flags. A friend suggested. Friends aren't experts, so I'm very happy yeah. that you're reaching out to this show. We always know when things are getting a little overheated when we start taking investment advice from the roofer or the painter or cousin Joey, Uncle yeah. Eddie. That shouldn't be so. I appreciate you know Eric asking us. So my this would be one of my questions. If this was in my peer group, a friend suggested, I'd probably ask. So is that when you were in the garage having a couple beers, or <laughs> when did you have this conversation? Yeah. And and here, Eric, I understand why there's maybe you know a sense like you need to do something because people feel like things are getting away from. Oh, interest rates clicked up just a little bit. Man, it's getting more expensive. Um, and in a competitive environment, a lot of times the buyers want some level of escrow put down immediately just in case you back out of the deal. Right. Yeah. You know, if you're buying a three or four hundred thousand dollar place, they might want to, you know, uh, uh, escrow deposit of like 15 or 20,000 bucks when you write the offer. So it may take you out of some deals. 
But but here's what I think about borrowing from a 401k, and we've done shows on this before. I view that 401k as literally the bank of last resort, right? I mean, if you've got to take the loan from your 401k, I'm not sure this is the purchase for you. You know, because why can't we just save up a little bit extra money and get a decent down payment? Most of these lenders, they don't, they're not requiring 20% down. You know, you can buy a house with 5% down or even less in some cases. And maybe it'd be good to have, you know, my banker Jake on the show and talk about that with people. But what are, when I think of borrowing from a 401k, I think of all the negatives that can happen. Yeah. Yes. So do I. And so that's, I'm, I'm right there with you. That's a last resort option. Personally, I'm not borrowing money from 401k to make a home purchase. To me, that's like, that's last resort. This is an emergency. My family really needs this money to keep going. Um, And I guess kind of one of the red flags for me reading the question, we don't have enough cash for a decent down payment. And I don't know about every market out there. I know in our local market, a lot of homes are selling over what the actual value of the home is. So in this competitive market, well, you might think you're going to borrow for your down payment. Now you've already decided to do that. You might actually be borrowing to make up extra cash for the value above what the appraisal comes back at because and you're not gonna it's be able, such a competitive market right now. And the bank's not going to let you borrow that, right? If, if no, you, above if you, value, they're not they're not loaning you that. So if you, but you know, Eric, if you buy a house that that's listed at three hundred and you pay three thirty, and the appraisal's three hundred, the bank is not going to loan make that loan based upon three thirty. You're going to have to come up with that thirty thousand dollars of difference when, when you do the closing. So, but let me tell you the rationale versus just my opinion of why I don't believe taking it from the 401k is the right spot. So the first question I'd ask Eric is how long are you going to work at this job? And the appropriate answer should be, I don't know because he doesn't know how long his employer is going to keep him there. He doesn't know if he's going to get sick or injured. And here's what happens. You take a 401k loan today, you lose your job. When you have to pay it back by like immediately, right? Yeah. You by the end, basically, basically by the end of the year, you need to pay back that 401k loan. So if you went and took 50 grand out, you lost your job. Well, you got a few months to pay it back. And if you don't, it becomes taxable at your ordinary income tax rate plus a penalty. Okay. So that's reason number one. Reason number two is you're cutting off one of your branches of your growth tree, let's call it. You know, you take 50 grand out, you lose all the compound interest on that money that could have generated. And if I look at most 401ks versus, you know, a two and a half percent interest rate, most of the time, the 401ks vastly outperformed the 401k or the 401ks vastly outperformed that that loan or um, whatever you took. So the only advantage of there's really only two advantages of taking the loan. One, it's going to help you, you know, potentially bypass like some credit checks and stuff, right? If your debt to income is too high, it could lower that because you're going to lower your payment, but it's not going to show up in your credit report. Um, and the other thing is technically you're kind of paying the interest back to yourself versus to a bank, but neither one of those are reasons that I would be taking a 401k loan. I think that 401k loan is strictly set there for the consumer. So if you buy this house and then you lose your job, you can keep making the payments until you get back on your feet. 
That's when I would use a 401k loan. Like, oh my gosh, we literally can't get money anywhere. You know, I, right. and if you don't, emergency. and if you can't save up five or 10% for a down payment, you're not ready to buy a house. Yeah. That, it, that's kind of like, that's kind of like the cold facts of it, right? Yeah, like you're not just not be, ready. You're not there. You're not ready. Cause you know, 5%, you buy a $200,000 house is 10 grand. I mean, literally if you save a thousand dollars a month for, you know, 10 months, you're there. Yeah. Right. And don't get excited because someone tells you you shouldn't rent. You don't know if it's a good time to rent or not. It may be the worst time to buy a house. Think about the people who said, man, housing market's super, super hot. It's 2007. I better stop renting. And they lived in Arizona. And they bought a house. And guess what happened to their value in about 18 months? Yeah. Cut in half. Yeah. So Cut don't get half, excited. Yeah. Take emotion out of this. Like we always talk about, the more we remove emotion from all of this stuff, the better off we're going to be. Um, and I think, you know, here's some things that Eric can think about when he's actually going to figure out how much can he afford for the house. The first thing the bank is going to look at is what's your debt to income ratio, right? So they take whatever your gross pay is per month. So let's say it's 5,000 and about the max we're going to lend is 43%. So on 5,000 means your total debt has to be, you know, roughly $22,000, let's call it a month or less. So that's how the first thing, can you afford it? Second thing, what we like to think about, can you afford it? If I look at all of my household expenditures, right, my household cost, I really don't think your mortgage payment should be mortgage payment, your gas, utility should be more than 28% of what your gross income is. So that's about half, not quite half, two thirds of what the bank would lend you. But remember what the bank says you can afford and what you really can afford yeah, are two different, are different things. Yeah, those we, are different things. We hear the comment, don't be house poor. House poor is borrowing 43% because that means all the rest of your income is going to nothing. Like you're living on rice and beans and not because you want to, because you're forced to. Yeah, you're right. And then, uh, yeah, and good luck uh, pursuing your hobbies at that point if you're if you're that strapped for cash, no, no golfing and no barbecuing for Eli. If I do that, I'll never forget the first house I bought, we built a new house, Scogin homes here in town. And my realtor's comment is maybe you're going to have to eat more macaroni and cheese and hot dogs versus steaks for dinner. I'm like, that sounds like a horrible idea. <laughs> I mean, what's I'm an adult. I don't want macaroni and cheese and hot dogs. And my wife's like, are you serious? I'm like, I'm not eating macaroni and cheese and hot dogs. But that was his whole point was, well, yeah, you can have a nicer house. But if you do that, you're going to have to. Right. You're going to have to cut back in other areas. Money isn't unlimited for most people. For most people, there's some threshold of what they can afford to spend each month on all of these different things. For those people who kind of think that you're missing out by not getting in the housing market, we don't know if it's a good time or not. Don't get excited. Just make sure you do things right. Have a good down payment. Find a good banker to get you a good interest rate. Don't get crazy, right? It, it's hard to not kind of buy into the energy of, oh my gosh, it's going up. I have to have this. If you don't have it for six months, you'll be okay. Um, I'm not that great at that. I like instant gratification and I've had to wait for things in my life um, and we all can do it. So with that said, I, I think this is cool stuff happening. I think the Luca Garza NFT is really cool. So if anybody hasn't checked it out, you can check out his website on that. And if anybody's looking for help financially with getting a financial plan or they just need a second opinion what they're doing, you can get us at btwellshow.com. 
Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIT. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.